85% of adults say they regularly experience stress with half recognising that they are too stressed. We need to talk about anxiety. This autumn, we'll be looking at some of the different forms of anxiety and the issues that can be on our minds. Jesus had a lot to say about our mental well-being and we believe his gospel is the very best solution to dealing with anxiety. Just to briefly go back to the whole Brexit element, the fact that it's in the news and it's all you ever hear about, that you have your own uncertainty, uncertainties and then the news is just telling you life is uncertain, life is uncertain all the time. I can imagine that just, particularly if you're running your own business, it just weighs upon your mind a lot. Like, have you found that particularly in your job? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it obviously affects everyone, but our company in particular, we, build, we buy products from Europe, so all of our products come from Europe. So there's so many factors. So there's the actual housing market itself, and then there's the fact that how, are, we, are we going to be able to get the products and how much are we going to have to pay, and do we need to now kind of recruit people to do all this kind of customs tax stuff that we have no idea on because we've never had to really worry about it. And, um, yeah, and, and it's difficult because, you know, obviously there's lots of people around you who are really for... Um, leaving and there's lots of people who are up for remaining and there's all this kind of tension of what you say about it and within a company within the company we want to be careful what we say but you know it's uh yeah it's, it's it's definitely a tough tough time in terms of not really knowing quite what's coming and trying to um just trying to be smart and think of clever ways to kind of plan as much as you can Really good to see you if you're new here uh, in Emmanuel. My name is Joel, and we are in a series of messages uh, on the theme of anxiety that's taking us through the autumn term. And we've looked each week at a different manifestation uh, of anxiety. And Brexit is certainly provoking anxiety for us nationally. So we're looking at it today, uh, and by the end of this sermon, we will have solved all of the problems. And settled it and clarified things, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll be glad that you came here. And glad that I, I stuck my oar in and got involved, because I've got all the wisdom we need. If only they'd come to me years ago, it would have been all fine. Um, no, I, I'm hoping that actually that God will speak to us through the scriptures to bring strength and encouragement and uh, help us to have perspective. On, on what are important matters, um, and they are matters that can rob us of our peace. And we want to we want to discover him through this series. We're not talking about anxiety because it's just a, a certain subject that's trending at the moment, but because we we have a a saviour presented to us in the Bible, a person who promises to do us good, promises to bring healing to us to bring peace to us, to bring rest to us, to our restless souls, our burdened and pressured and weary souls. Jesus came offering rest. So anything in this world that provokes restlessness, that makes us feel anxious, uh, it's a worthy subject to bring up in his presence and to see how he can speak into it. That's what I trust he will do as we look at this and try to see it from a biblical perspective it's not just anxiety, mind you, that, that Brexit has provoked. There are many other kind of negative associations. One of them would be distraction. Brexit has certainly taken up the airwaves. It's, it's got the attention 
And the, in fact, the, the kind of dominant um, distraction of attention for everybody, it would seem, certainly in the media and in the political classes, it's, it's become the, the focus, the focus. Um, that might, from your point of view, be a good thing. You might think, well, it gives them something to do. Um, but I'm afraid that there are many things that end up being bumped off, off the edge of the plate, things that, that surely would be more significant or should be treated as more significant than they are. It should be more known, for example. It should be more dwelt upon in the public consciousness that there are upwards of one million Muslims being held in incarceration camps in China who are treated in unspeakable ways, subject to torture and rape. These are camps that include women and children. And, and this is the sort of thing that is happening currently in world affairs, and yet I imagine that, generally speaking, across the nation, precious few people know anything about it because it doesn't capture the attention of the media. It doesn't, doesn't seem worthy of discussion amongst politicians. The fact that religious persecution of Christians especially, but also of other faiths, seems to be reaching genocidal proportions in some parts of the world. These things don't seem to get mentioned. They, they don't seem necessary to uh, preoccupy our attention. Because Brexit is the focus, and, and with that being the case, I can't help thinking that distraction is, is one of the unnecessary, well, un unpleasant effects of, uh, of this huge matter that's dominated our attention now for three years, three plus years. So distraction is one issue. Another issue would be the, the general uh, contempt with which the public are generally uh, perceiving politicians. More and more and more, the, the uh, evaluation that we have towards those who govern is negative. So 70% uh, in the UK are said to consider politicians to be basically dishonest. 70%. And 63% uh, consider politicians to be doing a bad job. When it's more normal than not for the average person to think that those who govern them to be dishonest and incompetent, that's no small thing. Uh, we, might, we might be uh, thinking there's something normal about that. But I think we've drifted into some dangerous waters, actually, if we live in a country where the general expectation... People will always be cynical. There'll always be a voice of, of distrust towards the government. That, that's there all the time, kind of background noise in any culture. But when the, the majority assume, presuppose, if you're a politician, you are dishonest and incompetent. That's part of your job. If that's the way that we think as a society, I think it's troubling, and it might have implications for us in the future. It's worth us being aware of it. And then the third negative um, effect of this matter is, is just the sheer divisiveness that it seems to kind of at least stimulate, if not cause, in society. Some people feel this really painfully. Marriages, people, people in families that feel torn apart by 
the way different people voted in the referendum and, and the sympathies that we feel, it's got right into the heart of relationships. It's not just the, the broad division in society, but right in the heart of relationships, friendships that are finished. People say, I lost friends because of the way I voted. I, I admitted who I voted for, and I lost, or I lost respect, and, and uh, I, I, wasn't, I was kind of disenfranchised in my workplace. Hearing stories like that um, from time to time, and it suggests that there's something divisive about this subject. 9% of people in the country would say that they strongly identify themselves with a political party. 9%. I reckon it would have been higher in previous generations. It's quite a low proportion. But 44% would say they identify themselves very strongly with either leave or remain. So political passion, political identification, and political division with, with passion, with emotion, is back in a big way. And people are feeling that, and uh, certainly it has, a, it has an impact on us. It's often pretty negative. I would suggest, though, that there may, be, there may be a side to the division that we feel at the moment that Brexit hasn't necessarily caused, it's just revealed it. Brexit hasn't necessarily created division. In some respects, it's shown divisions that we might have otherwise been blind to, especially may I say, in places like Brighton and Hove. So Brighton and Hove uh, fairly overwhelmingly voted to remain. Not that surprisingly, the, the general prevailing culture in this city would be uh, on that side of things. Uh, we tend to reflect more the kind of uh, the attitudes and desires and sentiments of the kind of central London culture of the... Uh, educated, of elites, of people who are involved in media, people who are certainly university graduates. Some of the kind of features of Brightonian culture, you could almost have predicted the score for, in terms of how the referendum would come out. But for huge swathes, obviously, millions and millions and millions of people in, in England and Wales and up into Scotland as well, there, there, there's a completely different set of opinions and assumptions that, that are felt very strongly, deep convictions. And, and we can be a little bit unaware of them. We can, because we live in a certain bubble of, of political climate, not really even hear the concerns and complaints that are felt on a daily basis by people who live in other parts of the country and experience culture quite differently. And, and I think Brexit certainly seems to bring that to our attention. And there's been lots of different people made comments about this, how we, we realise, gosh, there's a, there, it's not just that people have voted differently. This, this represents different expectations of what life should be like. And, and the fact that the two sides tend to despise or dismiss each other, sometimes in quite a shallow way, suggests we're not that good at hearing each other. We're not that good at understanding what's going on in the hearts and minds of people who, who voted differently than us. I found a really uh, helpful voice in the, in the writer David Goodhart, whose book, The Road to Somewhere, uh, I think analyzes this brilliantly and is full of fascinating statistical data to make his point, where he's kind of saying that in the UK, 
increasingly there is this, this kind of huge number of people, even large, large majority number of people, who feel increasingly left behind and disenfranchised, dis disengaged from the political classes, from the media, and from the kind of driving assumptions that seem to be shaping culture and shaping the future. And things like the European Union uh, are seen to such people as an enormous threat. Their sense of place, their sense of culture, their sense of traditional identity, family, and, uh, and stuff that they've inherited from the past it seems to be despised by government and media outlets in London. And so Brexit, or the referendum when it came, provided an opportunity to make a, a cry from the heart, to speak out, to say, we, we disagree. We are passionately yelling out our concern to the nation. We are not in this. We're not on the same page. You've not won us over to your journey to kind of create a more globalized, uh, borderless society uh, where, where economic and social interests are just kind of, just all kind of held to some kind of general equal, which in a way that totally squashes and, and dissolves and disintegrates our localized culture. What about us? And millions feel that way passionately and haven't been given much of a voice or haven't felt like they've been given much of a voice. And so the referendum came as a chance to make that comment. And now the, the referendum seems to be by many something to be somehow uh, ignored or overcome and put to one side. This voice, I suspect, could grow stronger and harsher and more bitter. I say this to say that a nation that is not properly listening to itself, not hearing the concerns of people from another side and from a different culture, has, is, is only creating more problems in the future. And, and there's a certain divisiveness that seems to, not, not necessarily have crept in in the last three years, but certainly has been revealed. And the fact that Trump got elected in the same year as a referendum suggests that this isn't just a UK phenomenon, but people are using their votes to to make a statement to the political and the media classes as if to say, we're here. We want, we want to communicate our disenchantment, our frustration, our anger. And anger that you ignore and squash, well, it tends to get released further down the road, sometimes in an uglier way. And we need to be wise about that as a nation. So these are some comments about some of the negative things that, that Brexit seems to have brought to the surface. And in, as, a, as a, you know, a, a Christian, perhaps if you're here wanting to think carefully, what, what is the right way to respond to this? One of the questions you'll ask is, what is the right side to be on? <laughs> What's God's opinion on this? What would God vote for? How, how did God vote on 2016, June the 23rd? Uh, because you know, I'm, I want to make sure that I voted the way God told me to or God intended me to. And, and, and we, we might imagine there's one particular side that's the more godly side. And the preacher is now going to tell you what it was. And you're going to be either very gratified to know that you were right all along or very upset to know that you're in the wrong church because this guy doesn't say what you expect a Christian to rightly say. And the, the responses you might expect is I'm not going to say either is the God side. I'm actually going to suggest to you it's more complicated than that. 
uh, which is probably shouldn't surprise us. We, we've got good reasons, I think, to, to have voted either side. There would have been good reasons and bad reasons for both sides. People voted differently with very good consciences. I think for some of the reasons why people might have voted leave, from a Christian point of view, genuine suspicion about effectively what looks like an increasingly powerful technocratic empire that seems to have extraordinary levels of control and it seems to be extraordinarily lacking in accountability. Unelected officials who increasingly not only control and influence outcomes but have an appetite to control more outcomes. And that should at least make us a little bit concerned and suspicious. People who are concerned about the ideology behind the uh, European Union agenda. Yeah, it does seem to be representing a worldview that's cut itself free from any respect for Judeo-Christian values that we've uh, benefited from for centuries in our culture. Uh, the fact that traditional communities seem to have their interests ignored um, by the kind of globalising social economic agenda of the European Union. And then the fact that as a country, our trading activity through the dominance of the EU has been less given to some of the poorer countries of the world where we might be enabled otherwise to bring more economic and social renewal if we were able to focus on them as trading partners in the future. So these are all, I think, quite legitimate concerns, reasons why a Christian might think that leave is the right line. But then there'd be, I think, very powerful arguments from a Christian point of view for remaining as well, just one or two of them. The fact that it would seem that trading cooperation um, has helped at least to cultivate peace between European countries, which, bearing in mind the fact that since 1945 we've had an unusual bubble of peace between countries that you know, the norm historically has been ongoing conflicts and disputation, uh, even violence and war, it, it would suggest that yeah, maybe the EU didn't cause peace, the EU didn't exist in 1945, but it may have helped the kind of cooperation that the trading relationships have um, fostered may have helped uh, in ongoing cooperation and peace between those countries. So there's one argument for Remain. What about the fact that actually un, un, uh, aligning ourselves, disaligning ourselves with the EU could have negative economic impact on us as a nation? No one quite knows exactly what to expect in the months and years to come, but everyone is bracing themselves, knowing that yeah, there are most likely to be some negative, perhaps significant negative outcomes that always affect the poor first. The impact will land on the poor, most of all, and from a Christian point of view, that's surely a concern. And the fact that, yeah, there's something to be said for the maturity of a, a mentality, Let, let's stay and mend. If this isn't working, surely our responsibility is to stay in and help it work rather than pull away and let it go and dissolve. Maybe there's a part we should play rather than 
what could be at least seen as a sort of flippant and petulant response of just cutting and running, isn't there a more Christian response in staying and serving and helping to bring healing? And then finally, from a Remain point of view, what about just the, the opportunity for the gospel? A, a Europe where the borders are freer is a Europe where the gospel can run freer. Isn't this church trying to plant churches in other cities in Europe? Aren't we concerned about freedom to do so without, without having to go through layers and layers of bureaucracy in order to allow the gospel to travel? So you, you get my point. There's a few points that could be made. And, and I think I've only drawn out a sample from each side. Some of you in the room could do a better job by far of drawing out in a much more comprehensive way all the different arguments that there might be for either side. But I'm just me, mainly registering the fact that it's not simple. There are arguments to be made, have been made, will have been made, and will continue to be made for both sides. But we also have to face the reality that, at least from the current government's point of view, this is the direction we're going in. We were expecting to be gone by the middle of this coming week. <laughs> Who knows? Imagine how many times I've started and rewritten this sermon in the last few days. <laughs> Try to think, what can I say, what can't I say, what will be true today that won't be true the next day? What? And in the end, I had to think, well, there's some things that I just I won't even touch. But one thing that is certain is that for many, many people, this has been a cause of anxiety. And that's the key theme. That's the, 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 the kind of mega theme that we're looking at this through. Anxiety. Anxiety for some of the reasons I've suggested. Economic worry. Jobs and money. Companies that could be powerfully affected, even damaged by Brexit, or even swept away by Brexit in some cases. So there's economic uncertainty. And uncertainty when it comes to money is bad in itself, it would seem, for some people. And then there's just the general kind of anxiety of awkward and affected relationships with people from different national groups. If you talk to somebody who's living in the UK from, from another EU country, you, you might, if, let me talk, speak to people who are native English people like me for a moment, I encourage you to listen to the feelings expressed by those who've had to handle waking up on June 24th, 2016, feeling, sometimes to quite an acute level, a sense of not being welcome in this country. Feeling like a stranger. Feeling unsure whether, I, I, thought, this, I thought this was a welcoming country, and I don't feel it. And it, it's, it's, it is an emotional thing. And we've got to realise that. We've got to understand that and engage with people in terms of how they're actually feeling at times like that. And understand that that creates anxiety all of its own. There's the, the general restriction that young people anticipate. We're going into a, an era where I will have less opportunity, less freedom than my parents and grandparents have enjoyed. That, that might be quite a vague kind of fear, but it's definitely a fear that seems to be gripping many young people. 
Not all of them, but many of them, especially in places like Brighton and Hove. Fear about the future. And then there's anxiety amongst the older people who've had to put up with some of the slightly, let's say, rude and obnoxious rhetoric of those who speak as though the, the vote that was cast in 2016 should be ignored because people who are now dead voted that way. The old voted for it. This was voted for by the old, as if you, know, you don't count as much if you're old. And that way of thinking, I've got to tell you, it's profoundly non-Christian. And it's totally dishonouring. And it's foolish as well. Don't, don't go near it. But whatever it is, it doesn't create any sense of honour, respect, mutual appreciation in society. It causes more anxiety. And, and then there's just specific anxieties, even literally within the last couple of weeks. The impact of the, the latest deal that the Prime Minister has shared with the Commons, which suggests yet another rewriting of the expected relationship with Northern Ireland. And so there's the concern about our relations with Northern Ireland, which have been so painful for so many decades. And then just more generally, just peace in the future, peace in our time. What, what can we expect if we isolate ourselves? And, I, and, and we don't connect in this, in this context of cooperation. What might happen in our relationships with other European countries? So lots of causes for anxiety, and that's why I wanted us, now that we've finally said all that stuff, <laughs> to get into the Bible. So let me just let me ask you to turn with me to the Bible. In fact, the words of the passage from the Psalms are going to come up on the screen right now as we read from Psalm 46. Psalm 46, and we'll read the whole psalm, and then we'll get into how it applies to this situation. Let's read it. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When uh, on the morning of June 24th, 2016, like, like all of you people, I, I woke up the next day to the news and I had to kind of start to process it because it was so not what I was expecting. I don't think it was what any of us were quite expecting, and it caused me to, to reflect a lot. And this was actually, for me, one of the key passages of the Bible, which that morning I came back to. So what I would urge you to do anyway, every morning, starting your day with, with this, this voice, 
starting your day, having your, your soul realigned with eternal reality. And I, I, I found it to be one of the most encouraging portions of the whole Bible, every, any, anyway, for years and years, and, and specifically in the context of international developments, and unknowns, I recommend getting into it. I want to highlight today the word though, though, that shows itself in verses two and three in a few places. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That's not the language I would use automatically if I was in conversation with one of you and you were telling me of something you were worried about. I wonder how you do this. If someone talks to you in ordinary conversation about something they were unsure about. What's going to happen about this? My instinct normally is to encourage a person to think, oh, it's probably not going to happen. Don't worry. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. It won't happen. It won't go that bad. But the psalmist doesn't do that. The psalmist writes as though imagining that the worst can happen. Language isn't, we will not be afraid because these bad things probably won't happen. No, the, the language is, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the worst can happen. In fact, though the worst will happen sometimes. Sometimes. Though those things happen, we have a steadier cause. We have a greater reason for peace. We have a greater reason to be free from anxiety. We don't have to be afraid, although these things can be expected. And no one quite knows what to expect from Brexit. No one quite knows what to expect from so many political unknowns that are lining up to be worked out, for closure to come. We, we really don't know. that the ex- I, I don't know. But I have here in the Bible a reminder that my peace, my rest, doesn't have to be grounded in some kind of false hope that everything will go exactly how I would like it to go. I don't have to build my rest on that. I can build it on something far greater. And in fact, trouble in this life is something it's right for us to be ready for, to anticipate. This is all over the Bible. I think of one verse that stood out to me as I was preparing this just this last week, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, where he's talking to Christians who faced persecution and trouble and hardship. And he says, don't be surprised by this as though something strange was happening to you. He said, Look, you, need to, you need to process this rightly. It's not a strange thing. This is what you should expect. The, the, the issue is how we expect it, how we handle it and understand it. What, what, what kind of view of the world we put it through 
and what kind of relationship with God we put it through. And there are some key things, before we finish here, from this psalm, which he wants us to see really helping us in our perspective and releasing us from anxiety in these matters. First of all, the authority or the power of God is shown. It speaks in in verse 6 about the nations raging, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. It's at the voice of God that creation came into existence. Let there be light. God spoke creation into existence. This is the Bible's claim throughout. And the psalmist is saying, in just the same way, it's at the voice of God that creation is transformed or decreated. It's only at his voice that creation and destruction can come. He is in absolute authority. The psalmist wants us to dwell on that, wants us to, to steady our hearts with the reminder he is in absolute control. He has authority, absolute authority. And he comes back to that theme before the end with those words in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. Come and see, come and look. Have a perspective that will help you. Gain the right perspective. See it from this angle. Some of us, we we don't realise how much we've allowed our perspective to be limited. I've talked about this before, but if you, if you ever arrive in an airport in a, in a place where the climate or the, the weather is, is dark, cloudy, rainy, depressing, you, you sometimes can't even imagine the, the reality that only an hour ago you were above the clouds. And the horizon was utterly different. It was clear. It was blue sky. It was bright. And it's the same place. It's the same place. It's just a difference of altitude. And the psalmist is saying, come up here. Come, behold. Come and see from the heavenly angle. See the sovereign authority of God. See the workings of his hands. See what God has done. See it through history. Come and look at the way God has worked to get what he wants done. And bear in mind, we who can see the whole Bible together can see perhaps especially, even in, in this phrase here, come, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He's brought desolations on the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Bear in mind how the God of the Bible has brought about peace. Bear it in mind. Consider how he's wrought his authority, how he's used his authority. How has God brought about peace? Not from a kind of cold distance behind the clouds, just declaring peace in some kind of ethereal way, as though he doesn't really engage with our troubles and our anxieties and our panics and the things that we, we go through in this life. No, the God of the Bible has become one of us. The God of the Bible has experienced the desolation, the very word he uses, experienced the the spears, experienced the worst of tumult, the worst of persecution, the worst of suffering, the worst of being marginalized. Jesus, the Son of God, 
went to the lowest place, the lowest of the low. Jesus knows trouble, knows trouble that none of us would ever invite upon ourselves. He knows it from experience. He knows it from the inside. And he has triumphed over it. Being raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. Our Jesus, he doesn't reign from a kind of place of sort of dispassionate, clueless, sort of ivory tower authority. He rules from the trenches, if you like. He rules from the pain. He rules from the cross. He's been there. And the things that cause us to worry, Jesus knows the temptations and the pressures. He knows them himself, and he's risen from the dead. He is in perfect authority. And he has brought about complete peace for us. There is actually a peace that God has brought about for us to enjoy. The most important peace, the peace that we can have with him. And the peace that he'll ultimately bring about through all of creation. He, he's working sovereignly through his own giving of himself, of his body and his blood. Jesus is in complete control. And this gives us massive confidence. It also speaks here about, secondly, his presence. Remember how the psalm starts off. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. Very present, God with us, Emmanuel, his very name. God wanting us to be sure of his partnering, his closeness in the midst of stuff we can't, we can't predict. We don't know what will happen. How do we know how Brexit will affect us? We can't know, but we can know the promise of Emmanuel, a very present help, a very present. And even this image of a, a river, I love the language of Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The idea, I guess, is of a city under siege. And in the ancient world especially, a city under siege very helped if there's a river going through it. Because you've got life, you've got refreshment, you've got survival if you've got a river. If you can't go in and out of a city, well, death by thirst and starvation... It's coming pretty fast. If a river comes through the city, there's, there's hope, there's survival, there's life, there's refreshment. Interesting that it speaks of Jerusalem as a place a river goes through because physically, literally, there isn't one. Jerusalem isn't built on a river. There's a few minor streams, but not a river, not like this describes. The psalmist isn't, isn't actually describing the, the earthly city of Jerusalem. He's describing the eternal spiritual inheritance of the people of God. He's saying that those who belong to Israel's God can live as a people this ongoing life of being refreshed and sustained by the presence and the life of God. That's the promise for us. How does the, the Bible, how does the psalmist comfort people in the midst of political change, uncertainty, and unpredictability, he says to you, remember the presence of God in your life, through your life, through all circumstances. Not just the idea of God, but the very presence of God. Remember to keep being refreshed by him, enjoying him. You don't have to live your life dependent on political circumstances that are convenient and expedient to you. You don't have to base 
your joy, your peace, your refreshment on that. You don't have to. You don't have to. Don't believe the lie that you do. Enjoy the promise. Jesus said, if you drink the water I give you, the water I give you will become within you a a spring of life, a well welling up to eternal life. John chapter 4. He says later in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. And out from their inmost being will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about the same thing as the psalmist, the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a weird thing for us maybe to kind of put these two things together. Political uncertainty and being filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible puts them together in Psalm 46 really clearly. You, you, if you love Jesus and know Jesus, my friend, keep living in the good of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Ask for more of his Holy Spirit. Even later, as we come and bring our songs and come to the table, take bread and wine, as you want to get pra- if you want to get prayed for specifically, and you say, I'm anxious about the future, I'm worried about what's to be expected, pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To pray to be filled with the joy and the peace of God. This is real. It's so real, it will sustain you under siege. That's a real issue for some of us. Well, if we cut ourselves off from European mainland, what's going to happen? Many will be feeling like that. Maybe people in Northern Ireland especially. How, how will this affect us if we're cut away, cut away? You can feel almost like under a certain kind of siege. And, and the Bible encourages us with this, this promise. Ultimately, You're not ultimately under siege if God's provision of living water is coming through your life. You can actually be an agent of blessing. At a time when everybody's instinct is to be protecting their own interests, thinking just of of this kind of uh, general tendency for division between ethnic groups that seems to be creeping into society more and more, where people feel concerned about their political identity, even their, their ethnic identity. What about us? What about our interests? No one cares about people who live around here anymore. Who's speaking up for me and my my group, my community? Where does that instinct come from? It comes from people who are panicking watching the trickle of water go out during a siege, right? It's people panicking. Who's looking out for us? Who cares for me? And and when we feel panicky and we feel that we haven't any resources to be grateful for, of course we're going to be spiteful. Of course we're going to lash out at people who are different than us. Of course we're going to pick sides and be divisive and draw lines. But people who've got a river running through their lives have got another force involved in their life. People who've learned to drink of the Holy Spirit, drink of the joy of Jesus and enjoy the love and mercy that he provides that I don't deserve Who of us comes close to deserving the forgiving, kind love of God? Who of us can lay claim to it? Who of us, not one of us, could even begin to sort of make out that we and God have made a deal? And God owes me because I've done this. No, we all come as beggars and we all receive lavish grace. If we see it that way, understand that grace perspective, it will help us. To not operate politically, economically, out of just sheer self-interest, panic, fear, even sort of mental stockpiling. We don't know what's to come, so we've got to look out for ourselves. No, friends, we, we draw water from a different river. 
God, thank you for your water that runs through our lives. Help us to be agents of healing and love in a nation that desperately needs healing. Desperately needs genuine love between different people from different groups. Genuine. How do we show that? We need churches that are filled with the love of God. Filled with love for one another. Able to love across divides. Able. Able. (laughs) Not by their own greatness, but by the greatness of the God who's given himself for them. Third and very quick final thing, purpose. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He's in control. He's in authority. Why? For his own great purposes. We can trust that history is going his way, ultimately. I don't know what's going to happen, neither do you. But I do know the Bible says, be still. No, I am God. I will be exalted. He has absolute control and he has purpose. Purpose. It reminds me just finally of, of Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 where he's preparing for his battle with Jericho. Maybe you remember the story. And he meets this stranger. Actually, it's Jesus coming to him doesn't recognize him. And he says to, to this military mighty warrior with his sword drawn, spiritual, heavenly, angelic being, he says, are you on our side or on their side? And the reply comes, no. No. I am the commander of the armies of the Lord and I have come. So very, very easy for us, isn't it, to try and Draw God into our side. Are you on this side or on that side? Are you on my side or their side? What are you, God? Are you leave or remain? No. No. I'm, I'm the Lord. I have purpose and plans you don't understand. I know what I'm doing. You join my side. I'm not joining yours. You join my side. That's what we need to do. That will protect us from anxiety, friends. Give us his perspective. Let's pray. Father, we want your help with this. Because we are, we are so easily given to panic, anxiety, and, and Lord, sometimes, Lord, worries that accumulate. And it may not be that Brexit is the great cause of anxiety in all of our lives, but it certainly adds to the background noise. And we want to pray, give us this psalmist perspective. Help us to see your power. Help us to know your presence. And help us to trust your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.